Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book, Calligan's Bride, Chapter 9. Cag was dressed in lightweight, gray-vested suit the next morning when he came into breakfast. His suitcase was packed and waiting by the front door along with his silver belly Stetson. He looked elegant when he dressed up. Tess had to force herself not to stare at him too closely while she served the meal. Raid walked in, still dressed in a suit himself, just as Tess started to put breakfast out on the table. He, like Calligan, would never win any beauty contests, but he paid for dressing. He looked elegant and faintly dangerous in a sexy sort of way. Tess was glad she was immune to him and wondered vaguely if there had ever been a special woman in his life. I feel like Cinderella before the ball. Leo muttered, glancing from one of his brothers to the other. He was in jeans and a blue checkered shirt and boots, his blonde straight brown hair shining like gold in the silting light. Cag didn't react, but Ray took him up on it, peering deliberately under the table to see if Leo was wearing a dress. Cute, cute. Leo drawled, he picked up his fort and stabbed the air toward his brother. I meant figuratively speaking. I don't wear dresses. Good thing with your hairy legs. Ray retorted, he glanced toward Cag. You leaving? Cag nodded as he finished a mouthful of eggs and washed it down with coffee. I'm going to that registered cattlemen's conference in Kansas City. I decided that I'd better go. The journals don't keep us completely up to date on pending legislation. And I've heard some rumors I don't like about new regulations. I've heard those rumors. The same rumors, Leo remarked. We have to start policing our own industry better, Cag said. All the rules and regulations and laws in the world won't work without better enforcement. He looked up. You should have kept your seat on the legislative committee at the State Cattlemen's Association. Hindsight is a fine thing, Leo Green. I had too much to do at the time. If they ask you again, take it. You bet I will, he glanced Why don't you do it? I've got more than I can do already. As you'll discover when you look at the paperwork in the study, I only got half the figures keyed into the computer. You'll need to take the rest down to Margie in the office and get her to finish. Sure. Neither Leo nor Ray noticed that Tess had turned away to the sink deliberately because she knew why Cag hadn't finished that paperwork. She didn't want the other two brothers to see her flush. Cag noticed he didn't look at her, though, because he became more readable lately when she was concerned. He finished his coffee and got up. Well, I'm off. I'll try to be back by next weekend. You can reach me at the airport Hilton in Kansas City if you need me. We won't, Leo said. We're going to have a good time. Cag glanced involuntary at Tess, thinking how empty life without her was going to be, even for a few days. He'd grown all too fond of the red curly head of hair and those heavenly blue eyes. Take care of Tess while I'm gone, he said, trying to make a joke of him, failing miserably. I'll take care of my myself, thanks very much. She shot right back and forced a smile so that he didn't think it wasn't killing her to watch him walk out the door. He never told us how your application went. Leo said suddenly. Oh, I was accepted on the spot. Tess said they scheduled me for three classes when fall quarter begins. I went to the financial aid office and applied for tuition. We really said I can get it. We'll pay for my books. <laughs> Cag front. You already applied? Yes, he said with a term of brightness. I start in three weeks. I can hardly wait. So I say. Cag finished his goodbyes, added a few things for his brothers to take care of while he was away, and left without another word. Tess wondered why he was irritated that she applied for admission to the vocational school when he already said he wanted her to do it. She knew he hadn't changed his mind. His behavior was puzzling. 
Cag was thinking the same thing as he slammed his hat on his head, picked up a suitcase, and went out the front door. He known she was applying, but now it was definite. He thought of her in his arms the night before, hungry for his kisses, and then he thought of all the young men she'd meet when she started classes. She might meet a young man who liked roses, too. He had visions of her youthful crush on him, melting quickly away in the heat of a new romance, and it made him vaguely sick. He tried not to get over his head, but it looked as if he was already fooling himself. Tess had wormed her way under his skin, right where his heart was. He wondered how he'd ever imagined that he could make a little love to her and walk away. He'd never been quite so confused or worried in his life. He wanted Tess as he'd never wanted anything, but he was afraid that she was in love with love, not him, because he was the first man who'd ever been intimate with her, even in a slight way. Couldn't forget the fiancé who dropped him for someone younger. Couldn't bear to go through that a second time. Got into the ranch truck and drove toward the airport, but his heart wasn't in it. Tess was going to go away to school, and he was going to lose her, but not right away he comforted himself. She'll still be leaving at the ranch. He'd had time to get himself sorted out, and it wasn't as if she was going to meet someone else at once. He had plenty of time. The thought comforted him, and he put that worry aside. Cag wouldn't have been quite so comforted if he'd seen the big black limousine that drew up in front of the Hart Ranch barely two hours after he left. Ray and Lou had already gone out with the men to look over a new batch of bulls when someone rang the doorbell. Tess wiped her hands on a kitchen towel and left the pot she'd been scrubbing in the sink when she went to answer it. A tall tanked man in a suit carrying a briefcase was standing there. Miss Teresa Brady. The man asked politely. I was shocked to hear her given name. She'd been called Tess for so long that she all but forgotten that it was a contraction of Teresa. Yes, he said hesitantly. He held on a hand. I'm Clint Matherson, he said, shaking hand. Your late mother's attorney. Her hand went limp and My late mother? I'm sorry to tell you that your mother passed away almost a month ago in Singapore. wasn't possible to get word to you until now. I found you through a detective agency, but I've been out of town and the message only reached me a week ago. I'm very sorry. He said belatedly. She hadn't thought of her mother in years, and only then, with regret, it might have been sad to lose her if she'd ever shown the slightest affection for her only child, but she didn't happen. I didn't know where she was, Tess said honestly. We haven't communicated since I was 16. Yes, she, she uh, made me aware of that. She left you a portfolio of stocks in a trading company out of Singapore. Yeah. If we could sit down and discuss her will... I'm sorry, of course. Come into the living room, please. Sat down in an armchair and laid out the documents on the spotless oak coffee table, moving her flower arrangement aside to make room for them. I can't tell you much about this company. Frankly, the stocks are as much of a surprise to you as they are to me. She didn't ask my advice before she sank her money into them. You did know that she married a wealthy Singapore importer six years ago? No, tested simply. As I said, we haven't corresponded. A pity. She gave up drinking and led a fairly admirable life in her last years. She was widowed about the time she contracted cancer. Her illness perhaps changed her outlook somewhat. I understand that she had plans to ask you to come out and visit with her, but she never carried them out. He smiled thinly. She told me she was ashamed of the way she treated you, Miss Brady, and not too hopeful of making amends. 
Tess clasped her hands together on the knees of her jeans. I would have listened if you wanted to talk to me, he shrugged. Perhaps it's just as well. But Tom is a great healer. He indicated the documents. I'll have these stocks checked out by the end of the week. I should be able to give you some idea of their current worth on the Asian market. Then you can decide whether you'd rather keep them or sell them. There are a few odds and ends like her jewelry, which will be sent on to me, and I'll forward them to you. The thought of having something, anything of her mother, made her uneasy. Wasn't there any other relative? A stepdaughter who still lives in Singapore, but she was already provided for by her father's will. Wouldn't she like the jewelry? He was surprised. Well, she was fond of your mother, I understand. They were good friends. Yes, I imagine she would like it, but it's yours, Miss Brady. You were a blood relative. I never felt like one, she replied simply. I'd like the daughter to have the jewelry and the other... Personal thanks. She glanced at him away. It's hard to put into words, but I don't really want anything of hers. Not even the stock. Ah, uh, but you have no choice about that, he said, surprising her. There's no provision if you don't accept it. There must be some goal you'll set in life that it would help you achieve. I understand that you work as a housekeeper here since your father's untimely death. Wouldn't you like to be financially independent? That remark changed her life. If she had a little money of her own, Callaghan wouldn't have to keep her on here because he was sorry for her. It would give her some measures of independence, even if leaving Callaghan broke her heart. Yes, I would, she answered the lawyer, and I'll accept the stop. stock. Thank you. He indicated the places her signature was required, closed the documents up in his briefcase, shook hands, and promised to be in touch soon about the stock. How much do you think it could be worth? She asked hesitantly when he was on the verge of leaving. Hard to tell. It was bought for $80 a share. That was last year. And how much was bought? He smiled me. About a million dollars worth. She was pale. Their hand found the door and held on for support. Oh, so you see, you won't be dependent on other people for your livelihood. Your mother may have neglected you in life, but she didn't forget you at the end. That must be some comfort. It wasn't, but she smiled and pretended that it was. She closed the door and leaned back against it. Everything had changed in the course of a few minutes. She was a woman of means. She could do what she pleased, but it would be without Callaghan Hart, and that was the hardest pill of all to swallow. She told the brothers about her visitor at the supper table. They were silent after she related the size of the inheritance, glancing at each other as if communicating in some mysterious fashion. I can still go to school, but I'll be able to support myself now, she told him. And I guess, she added reluctantly, I won't need to work. I'm sorry to leave, but we've known for a long time that Callaghan really would prefer to have another cook. Why don't you ever call him Cag like we do? Leo asked gently. He stared at her coffee cup. It never seemed comfortable, I guess. They exchanged another mysterious glance. Well, we're advertised as soon. Well, we'll advertise as soon as Cag comes home, and we have time to discuss what we want to do. Ray said, "We'll miss you, Tess, especially your biscuits." Amen to that. Good biscuit, Chief. It's really hard to find in these liberated times. I guess we'll be eating them out of tins from now on. Now, now, Tess said, "Dory can bake biscuits and even real bread. I'll bet she won't mind keeping you supplied. But you'll find a cook." I know you will. They looked at her silently. She won't be you, Leo said, and he smiled wistfully. Tess got used to the idea of leaving in the days that followed. She was almost reconciled to it. When Cag showed up late the next Friday afternoon, he looked tired and worn and unhappy till he saw Tess. His black eyes began to light up at once, and her heart ached because it could have been so different if he'd loved her. She stood quietly in the kitchen when she wanted to fling herself into his arms and kiss him to 
Miss me. Miss me, he drawled. She nodded, but she wouldn't look at him. I've got the other eggs I forgot this morning. Welcome home, she said belatedly as she carried a small wicker basket out the back door. There you are. Leo Carr joined his brother in the kitchen, clapped a hand on the tall man's shoulder. How'd it go? Fine. What's wrong with Tess? What do you mean? She won't look at me. Oh, well. She's been unsettled since the lawyer came. Leo replied, carefully choosing the words. Son Wells will do that to most people. Cag's face lost a few shades of color. Wells! Her mother died and left her a small fortune in stocks. Told the older man, watching with compassion, the effect it had on She says she'll be leaving as soon as we can hire a replacement. No need for her to work with a million dollars worth of stock, is there? Cag went to the sink and poured himself a glass of water that he didn't want, just to keep from groaning aloud. Tess had money. She was quitting. He thought he had time to work out his own feelings, and suddenly it was all up. She was leaving, and he'd never see her again. She'd find somebody younger and get married and have babies. Tess would love having children of her own. Put the glass down with the I've got things to do. How about those new bowls? They came in, and I got Billy to sell me that Sowler's bowl. He had his money. I'll put him in the pasture all to, my, all to himself with his own salt lick and a nice clean stall to keep him out of bad weather when it comes. Cag didn't raise, rise to the occasion when she would have only days before. He looked thoughtful and worried, very worried. It won't be the same without Tess, will it? Leo prompted gently. Cag's face closed up completely. I'll change and get back to the paperwork. Aren't you going to tell me how the conference went? Later, Cag said absently. walked out of the room without a backward glance. He acted oddly for the rest of the day, and he wasn't at the supper table. Said he had to go into... Said he had to go into town. God knows what for. Ray murmured as he buttered a flaky biscuit. They pulled in the sidewalks at six. He knows that. Maybe he's got something on his mind. Leah mused, watching Tess fuss over the chicken dish she was putting into a serving bowl. Raised something big. He wasn't going towards Jacobsville yet. He was heading towards Chase. That brought Leo's head up. He was? Tess finished putting food on the table, so preoccupied by Cag's reappearance that she couldn't put two thoughts together in any sort of order. It was much harder to leave than she'd ever anticipated. She missed the comment about Shay's bar entirely, and she barely touched her own food. She cleaned up the kitchen, blind to the brother's troubled glances, and went to bed early. She felt like it was the end of the world. So did Cag, who sat quietly at a corner table at Shay's bar, drinking one whiskey highball after another until he was pleasantly numb and barely coherent. No fool, we left the truck locked at the bar and took a cab back to the ranch. The driver wondered at the identity of his overly quiet passenger. He didn't ask. He took the bills that were fumbled out of the cowhide wallet and drove away. Cag managed to get through the living room without falling over anything. Amazing, considering the amount of whiskey he embedded. He made it through his own room and even into the shower and undertake the mammoth proportions an undertaking of mammoth proportions with his hair still damp and only a short robe covering his nudity it occurred to him that he should ask Tess why the rush to get away from the ranch that it was three in the morning didn't seem to matter if she was asleep why she could just wake up and answer him knocked at her door but there was no answer he opened it and walked in bumping into a chair and the side table before he even reached the bed sat down on the side of it and noticed how hot the room was she hadn't turned on the air conditioner then he remembered that his brothers had told him they shut the unit off to 
temporarily while it was being worked on. No wonder it was so hot. <laughs> he reached out and pushed gently at Zessa's shoulder under the cover. She moaned, kicked the cover away, and he caught his breath. She was lying there, just in her briefs, without any other covering. Her beautiful, least brushed bare and firm in the muted light of the security lamp outside a window. He couldn't help himself. He reached out and traced those beard pretty breasts with the tips of his finger, smiling when she arched, and they went hard-tipped at once. It seemed the most natural thing in the world to slide out of his robe and the bed beside her, turned her against his nude body, filling her quiver softly, and then eased closer to him. It felt like heaven in his arms, the feel of her soft, warm skin so intimately kindled, a raging arousal in him. He moved her onto her back and slid over her, his mouth gently smoothing across her lips until they parted and responded, despite the sharp tang of whiskey on his breath. Half asleep and sure that she was dreaming, her arms went under his and around him. Her legs moved to admit him into an intimacy that made his head spin. He moved against her blindly, hungry, urgently, his mouth insisting on her mouth as he felt surges of pleasure breaking like waves inside him. Galligan, Galligan, she was, yes, Tess, <laughs> got her mouth again, and his hand went to her thigh, pulling her even closer, straining against the thin nylon barrier that was all that separated them. She didn't fight his seduction. This was what he wanted. It was what she wanted, too. She relaxed and gave him to the sweet, fierce sensation that came from the intimate contact with his powerful body. But even as his fingers shot her hips in a fierce urgency, the liquor finally caught up with him. He gave a soft explosive sigh and a curse and suddenly went limp on her the full weight of his body pressing her heart into the sheets she lay dazed wondering exactly what had happened cat get no clothes on she was wearing briefs but nothing more not being totally stupid, she realized that sex involved a little more contact than this, but it was blatant intimacy all the same. She shifted experimentally, but nothing happened. He'd been very roused, but now he was relaxed all over. She eased away a little and pushed. He went over onto his back in a liquid sprawl with a long sigh. Curious, she sat up in bed and looked at him, surprised at how much she enjoyed the sight of him like that. He might have been a warm statue for all the movement in him, but he was a delight even to her innocent eyes. She smiled secretly as she studied him unashamedly, thinking that for tonight he belonged to her, even if he didn't want to. After all, she hadn't coaxed him in here. He'd come on his own free will. He had to feel something for her if he'd had to go out and get himself drunk to express what he really wanted. While she looked at him, she weighed her options. She could leave him here and chew him out first thing in the morning, unless, of course, he awoke in the same condition he'd just been in, except sober, in which her innocence was really going to be gone, or she could try to get him back to his room. That would be impossible. He was dead weight. She could call the brothers to help her, but that would create a scandal. In the end, she curled up beside him, pulled the sheet over both of them, and went to sleep in his arms. Let tomorrow take care of itself. She moves while she enjoyed the feel of all that latent strength so close against her nudity. She loved him. If this was all she could ever have, she was going to have this one night, even if he knew, never knew about it. Cag felt like hammers at either side of his head. Couldn't seem to open his eyes, discover what the sound... What was the sound that had disturbed him? He remembered drinking a glass of bourbon whiskey, 
several glasses. He remembered taking a shower and falling into bed. He remembered his eyes flew open and he sat straight up. But instead of looking at the bare back beside him, covered just decently by a sheet, he scanned his own nudity to the door, where Ray and Leo were standing frozen in place. He jerked the sheet over his hips, held his throbbing head, and said predictably, How did I get in here? <laughs> You bounder, Leo murmured, so delighted by his brother's predicament that he had to bite his tongue to keep from smiling. Finally, he got cagged just where he wanted him. That goes double for me, Ray said, acting disgusted as he glanced toward Tessa's proud figure, barely covered by the sheet. And she works for us. Not anymore, Leo said with pure confidence as he folded his arms over his chest. Guess who's getting married? He raised his voice to bite Cag's outrageous look. Tess, Tess, wake up. She forced her eyes open, glanced at Cag, and froze. As she pulled up the sheet to her chin, she turned and saw the brother standing poker-faced in the doorway. Then she did what any sane woman might do under the circumstances. She screamed! End of chapter 9.